Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Joel, welcome. You made a terrific start to your career launching into a game development role at the AFL. I'd imagine the AFL would have been a dream organisation for yourself. How are you able to secure this position? Yeah, it was. I certainly didn't expect to end up at the AFL in my first job. It just kind of through circumstances that it ended up that way. But really, the journey probably started a couple of years beforehand where I was living in Darwin and I'd sort of grown up there and done all my schooling and had started umpiring football. So that got me just some volunteer capacity with, uh, with getting around to know people amongst the football industry. And I started to develop at that period of time. We'd been interested in pursuing a career in sport while I was still in high school. So... I was just naturally inquisitive and wanted to find ways where I could learn a bit more and, and get involved in a few things. So just took the opportunity to volunteer and just do whatever jobs I could get my hands on and whatever people were willing to, to let me take on, which led to some casual work, working with AFL Northern Territory up in Darwin. And just used that as a bit of an opportunity before I moved down to Melbourne for university to get to know a few people, to be able to build some networks and connections and then just sort of connected the dots once I did move down to Melbourne to try and find some work and I was fortunate enough for that period of time that just opened up an opportunity for me to work at the AFL and I just started my degree and had you know three years to go before that was going to be completed but I just figured an opportunity like this doesn't come around all that often so took a chance found a way to make it work and took on the job and uh, finished my degree off while I was working at the AFL so just tried to follow the opportunity. Was it always your ambition to work in the game development side of sport or was it more just to get a foot in the door? It was more so just a case of trying to get an opportunity in sport. So at that stage, I didn't have any real understanding as what area of sport I wanted to work in, probably because at that point in time as well, I didn't really know exactly what I meant. All I knew is that I wanted to work in sport and for me at that point in time, it was just a really cool thing to do. So I loved footy. Footy was my favourite sport. So to have an opportunity to work at the AFL was what was the appealing nature of it as opposed to game development. And I sort of figured... I did have areas of interest in game development, but it was an opportunity to get the foot in the door. If that led to work at another stage, then once I'd sort of built up a bit of a career and started to meet a few people and show them what I could do, I also saw that as an opportunity to, to then use that as a, a bit of a, a foot in the door moment to start building my career at the AFL. And when that started, I just purely thought that, that was going to lead to me working in football for the rest of my career, and that's all I was focused on at that point in time. I just loved working in footy, and to have that opportunity was amazing. So wasn't game development as such, it was more so just a chance to, to work for the AFL itself. After five or six years, you made the switch to cricket as the commercial operations manager for the Big Bash League. What were some of the responsibilities that fall under each of those areas? Yeah, so that role pretty much just evolved during my whole time at the Big Bash. I was there for five and a half years and just started as the operations manager, which then eventually moved into the commercial piece as well. So operations primarily consisted of uh, player contracting, fixturing and looking after all the rules and regulations in relation to everything that happens inside the fence on the cricket field and that kind of grew into business operations and building relationships with the BBL CEOs 
and started to focus on a bit more business operations. And as my journey continued to evolve in the big batch, I then took on the commercial piece as well, which primarily was responsible for the commercial operations of the league, which is just dealing with the day-to-day nature of making decisions around does a club partner get to do something, does a league partner get to do something, what's in the best interest of the overarching BBL commercial model, which then feed into some piece around the overarching BBL commercial strategy and what was in the best long-term interest of the league. And then also some, some pieces around new business, so looking for opportunities to create new assets or connect the dots and actually bring some new partners into the league itself. Did you ever have to do any extra study to prepare for this role? You mentioned some of the player contracts you have to deal with. I imagine there would be a fair amount of legal understanding required. Yeah, there is. So it was all grounded in my commerce degree, which I did at Deakin, which some fundamental principles around um, how legal affairs work. So that gave me the, the sort of conceptual understanding as to as to the legal environment and also contracts, but then it was really on the job learning and training. So my time at the AFL, working with rules and regulations and list management and strategies and player contracts gave me a concept of how player contracts work, which was then further developed during my time at the Big Bash, which was really working closely with our legal department. So making sure I could upskill myself through having the resources that existed within the business to to give me further education in legal contracts. So I provide you've got a basis of the concepts of how it works and you've got a, a degree so you can understand the, the basic premise of, of how a legal system works. That's a good foundation. And then, like any school in work, you, you can learn that on the job as well. So as long as you've got the right people around you, you can also undertake courses if you need to. But I was very fortunate in that I had some good people in our legal team who invested time in upskilling me and how to, how to understand contracts thoroughly. So in season when there's a BBL game on every single day, what does your schedule look like? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's um, so it's the best part of the job, but it's also the most challenging part of the job, particularly because the big bash is such a short period of time where there's six or seven weeks straight, it's a game night after night after night, and it's all around the country. So it was really great because you got to go around and see all the different events, and you'd be in Melbourne one night, then you'd be in Perth, and then Adelaide, and then Brisbane, which is great, but it's it's pretty tiring. So it ends up working you're working 24 hours a day essentially because you're working towards a night if something happens in one of those matches you don't have much time to be able to try and rectify those issues for the next match so it was it was a lot of fun um and really challenging but it's all about finding that balance so that's a short period of time so making that sustainable it was really about how you then built into the season how you gave yourself a good break coming out of the season um but it was yeah it's a bit of a wild ride the bbl's got quite a long long off season how does your focus shift during that time period? Um, because it's such a short season, it really has a dedicated focus in season where you're just worrying about delivering the event and you have such a long period of time in the off-season to then review thoroughly how the, how the season went, how successful it was, find out what worked well from an individual club perspective, from a holistic league perspective, and then use that period of time you had in the off-season to really start to build and develop a strategy for next season. So... It was really about ensuring the small team that we do have delivering the BBL that has a responsibility of the league itself as opposed to the wider business where you might work in with a few different stakeholders who have little elements associated with the BBL. Because we had that small BBL core team, it gave us plenty of time to review the ins and outs of all the different functional areas, so operations, commercial, strategy, whatever it was. Review that, take the learnings from the clubs and then feed that into all your planning for the off-season. So you'd give yourself a good seven or eight months to be able to work out a plan for the, the next upcoming season and for us it was really about ensuring that all the learnings we took out of the previous season and what we wanted to achieve in the next season fed up into the overarching strategy for the Big Bash League which is attracting new fans to the sport 
and appealing to families primarily. So we're just constantly thinking about new ways where we can take best practice from other sports, best practice from other entertainment industries and feed that into what we're trying to achieve in delivering a league. But it was really focused about having a thorough review and then planning really um, in a structured way to ensure that we're in the best position to deliver the strategy once the tournament came around. You hear about retired footballers who finally get to enjoy a European summer for the first time in their life. How does working in a sport that's so seasonal affect you? Yeah, I think it's just making sure you've got that right balance. So it's really difficult when the season's on because it's so demanding and tiring. But if you've got the right balance in your personal life to be able to then say, once that period of time is over, a chance to sort of refresh and just take your time, get back into a bit of a normal lifestyle, work Monday to Friday rather than working seven days a week for seven weeks straight, you just need to give yourself that downtime. So reconnecting with your partner or reconnecting with your family and friends who you haven't seen for a couple of months on end um, and just using it as a chance to catch your breath because you need to refresh. And whatever you do in your career, you always need to have that balance between your personal life and your work life because your personal life always comes first. So it was always refreshing to get to the end of the season, complete the review that we needed to, then have a good chunk of time where you can go away and travel if you wanted to or even just stay at home and, and take a chance to just go at a slower pace. So taking a good three or four weeks off and using all the leave that I had available was really important to make sure I refreshed and then come back with a lot of energy for the next season to then build upon the momentum that we had started year on year. Do you ever wish that you could take two weeks off over summer and head down to Sorrento and just relax a bit? Yeah, I do. It's um, it's amazing. I've, I've worked on seven, no, sorry, six editions of the Big Bash League, and every year I still have the same conversations and arguments with family and friends about why I can't actually get away for Christmas or why I can't have New Year's down in Sorrento. So it's all it's what you make of it, really. I mean, you know, going into a job um, working in cricket that it's a seasonal sport that, that's played over summer and that's the peak time and. Ultimately, we're there to, to put on an enjoyable event for the fans, and if they want to um, consume cricket over Christmas or New Year's or whenever it is, and that's our job to deliver that. And you know, if you, if you that does get tiring, so you've got to have that balance where you have a break in the off season, but you also go into that with your, your wires wide open. It doesn't have to be forever as well. If it if that becomes tiring and it becomes too much of a stress, then there are other career opportunities as well within sport. And I've I've had the benefit of seeing the benefits of both the AFL and the cricket seasonal lifestyle and. The AFL gave you the opportunity to be able to have downtime over Christmas and crickets the other way around. But um, it also gives other opportunities like being able to go overseas during European summer or the American summer. So there's plenty of perks to having holidays in the off-season as well. You've recently been appointed the CEO of Cricket Northern Territory. What kind of interview process does this role entail and what kind of questions are we getting asked? So it was a panel interview. So the, the difference probably for a position like that is you're interviewed by the board as opposed to being interviewed by management. So probably a very similar process to, to what most people would go through in terms of their their normal recruitment process. So panel interview, um, you generally have to prepare a presentation. The difference is you're, you're outlining what your vision is for the organisation as a whole. Um, so strategy is a key component of that, but also how you're going to manage people and manage staff and, and key stakeholders. So that was the fundamental difference. It was really what was the direction that I was going to take Northern Territory Cricket in. Um, and if that resonates, that's great. It obviously resonated for me um, in my case with the board, which is which is amazing. But some really solid people on the board in Northern Territory Cricket. So there's a really good ground there and there's a good strategy that's been put in place that links in with a wider Australian cricket strategy as well. So for me, it was a case of how I'm going to bring that to life and what's my stamp going to be on the organisation and how I go about conducting myself, um, the relationships, how I empower staff, but then also how I'm going to deliver upon the strategy that we've been empowered to do. What was the toughest question that they asked you? 
It's a really good question. That's probably the toughest question I've gotten <laughs> today. Um, for me, it was really they wanted an understanding of how I was going to fit into Northern Territory cricket based on the knowledge and experience that I had from within Cricket Australia and the, the cricket experience and the runs on the ball I had in that respect. But then also, also being a Darwin boy myself and growing up in Darwin, how I was going to merge the blend of my Darwin experience, the connections locally and the, in, in Cricket Australia to ultimately benefit Northern Territory cricket. What could I bring to the role that was going to be a unique point of difference? So that was really, for me, being able to connect all the dots with the different stakeholders, having empathy for the difficult situation that local cricket clubs have, Northern Territory cricket has as an entity that relies wholly and solely on um, on funding and how I was going to be able to utilise my connections within Australian cricket to actually help grow Northern Territory cricket. So that was probably where they were asking questions around. So there wasn't necessarily anything in there that caught me by surprise as a really difficult question to answer, but it was really just spelling out what my strategy was going to be and how I was going to navigate those two different skill sets that I brought to the role. Speaking to you earlier, you mentioned that there are sometimes great opportunities in less attractive locations. How do you anticipate this role to affect or benefit the rest of your career? And what advice would you give to people who are only looking for jobs close to home? Yeah, I'm a big believer. You just got to follow the opportunities and find a way to make things work. And that's that's all how I've gone about my career to date, really, in terms of firstly moving from Darwin to Melbourne. Took a bit of a chance, had no family down in Victoria, but knew doing a degree at Deakin seemed like the right thing to be able to do and, and get a really good grounding and take an opportunity at the AFL. And again, when I took my full-time job at the AFL, I only just started my degree, so I just knew it was a good opportunity and too good to pass up. So I found a way to say yes and just make the degree work and finish that off by correspondence to, to ultimately have that degree. But primarily getting a start and a foot in the door in terms of the sports industry was going to be really important. And that's been exactly the same in terms of this opportunity in Darwin. I mean, yeah, I do have... A foundation in terms of having grown up in the Cherish and I do have family there but Darwin definitely wasn't on my radar in terms of when this opportunity popped up but you sort of get an opportunity put in front of you you think about it you think about where it could lead and you just got to find a, make, a way to make it work and if you feel like that's going to be the right opportunity for you then really encourage you to take it so in terms of the advice to anyone considering an opportunity sort of moving out of their comfort zone or just looking at the city that they live in if you think about logically, all that's doing is just really narrowing the opportunities that you do have. And particularly in a place like Melbourne, it's so competitive. You've got so many people moving to Melbourne, growing up in Melbourne, who want to work in sport and doing a degree at Deakin or wherever it is. So you've got to think, what's your point of difference? How are you going to add something different when someone's asking you to be able to sell yourself um, compared to all your peers? So what an opportunity like moving to Darwin provides for me in terms of the CEO opportunity is to be able to take on a CEO opportunity at a younger age and I would have been able to do that in Melbourne because it's a highly competitive market and I would be up against people who probably already have CEO experience or have general management experience which at this point in time I don't have so for me that was the opportunity to be able to get experience working as a CEO working with a board but then also moving into a permanent leadership position where I have the ability to influence strategy lead the direction of an organisation and that's only going to benefit me in terms of my career longer term with what I want to do so that's the opportunity that moving to somewhere that you, you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of and relocating to state and relocating overseas it's all about following an opportunity if you think that the opportunity itself is going to help you grow and develop then I think it's really important that you take that on because you'll always find a way to make it work and nothing's forever right so if you if you try an opportunity it doesn't work there's no failure it's you gave something to go it didn't quite work out for you so you can always come back home and try again finally you're the president of the Deakin University Sport Management Alumni Chapter if you're a recent graduate who is on the lookout for a job 
How would you be using the opportunities to attend alumni events? I think it's just all about meeting, meeting people and just finding a way to be naturally inquisitive and asking lots of questions because the more people you speak to, the more you learn and the more you find out where opportunities might be. So a networking event with uh, an alumni function doesn't necessarily lead to a, a job, but what it does lead to is an understanding as to where the industry is heading, where growth opportunities might be, which organisations are on the lookout for opportunities potentially, but also just being able to to pick the brains of people who have been in your shoes before and actually started to build out their career and how they went about that. Now, everyone's different and no journey is going to be the same, but it just helps you sort of piece together what you've been doing, where you want to get to and where there might be some natural opportunities. And the more conversations you have, again, the more you learn, but the more you're likely to widen up your networks and actually find more opportunities. So it's all about just being open-minded, not necessarily expecting anything, but just being open up for a conversation to learn and you never know what might be able to come from that. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the SportsGrad podcast. If you need help with your sports career, head to sportsgrad.com.au and download our free ebook today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a tag on socials at SportsGrad.